Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn, and joining me, Emily Schiltz. Emily, how you doing? I'm so good. Awesome. How are I'm, you? I'm doing really well. I actually good. just returned a couple weeks ago from a short trip mm-hmm. to California. Man. And got to preach at a church, a friend of mine's out in Oakland. So I spent my birthday weekend doing that. So fun. And it was awesome. And I just love this season for a lot of reasons. We've got birthday and Thanksgiving right. and family and fall and leaves. Yes. And as I'm looking out the window of our studio right now, there's leaves all over the place. Everywhere. And it's like sweater weather. Yes. It's just so fun. It's my favorite time of year, I think. Is it your favorite, like actual favorite time of year? I do think so, yes. When people ask me what my favorite season is, I usually say fall. And when I'm in fall, I usually love it. So <laughs> fall should be my favorite. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't like sweating. So I think the transition out of summer is probably the reason I like fall the most. <laughs> nice. That's actually actually my very favorite season is the transition out of summer into fall. Like the like lingering of summer, mm-hmm. but the crisp, like you start to feel a little bit of coolness. In the, right. And usually you have some good weather, like the sun is still shining. You got blue skies still, mm-hmm. warm during the day, cool and crisp at night, bonfire weather, my right. absolute favorite time. Yeah, it's it's, it's just full of a lot of nostalgia. And we had daylight savings, so oh, now man. it's like brighter in the morning, which is yes. nice. So great. Yes. Well, we have a lot of listeners who are probably listening to this, potentially, on their way to Thanksgiving plans. I Yay. thought we would talk about our favorite Thanksgiving traditions. Mm-hmm. Do you have any that specifically that stick out to you as you were growing up? I mean, really food. <laughs> I really love food. Isn't that what Thanksgiving is about? really good food. So um, that's probably what I look forward to the most. Um, I would say Kent and I, we don't have a whole lot of traditions. Well, what's your um, favorite Thanksgiving food then? Favorite Thanksgiving food is probably sugar cream pie. Oh, So sugar okay. cream pie from Wix. I think it's Wix Pie Factory or just Wix Pies in general. All right. Um, their sugar cream pie is the Indiana State Pie. Really? We, yes. Wait, hold on, hold on. You're telling me that we have, like <laughs> we have a, a state pie. A state pie. We have a state pie. Do any other states have state pies or is that just like Indiana? I have no idea, but I know that we have one. Please let us delicious. know if you know if your state has a state pie. Right. And send us not just what that pie is, send us send that us pie. Send us the pie. <laughs> the actual pie. Send it to us. Yes. You can look on our website, Resonate Church, <laughs> the P.O. Box. I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll check it after <laughs> Thanksgiving. It'll be fine. Yes, send us all the pies. So sugar cream pie is my favorite. It's really good warm, and it's really good cold. It's okay. more of like a custardy pie. Huh. Um, my grandpa was obsessed with them, and we had a really, really tight relationship. So there's something nostalgic about yeah. it when I eat it now. Um, so sugar cream pie is probably my favorite and then the good old like in some combination mixing of your roll and your mashed potatoes and your corn just in a sandwich or whatever that is is so good (laughs) (laughs) oh that's amazing well we um i grew up a really big family on both sides okay so my mom's side my mom is one of six girls in her family so she has five sisters and she has a little brother okay and all of her siblings just about had a lot of kids um, for instance, her little brother had seven kids Dang. at one point, all under the age of eight. 
you know, and then her other sisters, you know, four kids here, three kids here. So big family. And then my dad has two sisters and a stepbrother. And so all the, they all had a lot of kids. So on both sides, no matter if we were going to my mom's side or my dad's side for Thanksgiving growing up, normally it was up traveling up to here to Indianapolis, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why Indy became very familiar to me growing up, but we would always play sports all the time. Actually, it was more like any kind of competition. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure that comes as a complete <laughs> yeah, shock to you. Surprising. It's like <laughs> the Blackburn family, the Shigley family just compete. That's it. Okay. Like for three solid days. I know specifically with my mom's side, especially because her little brother, Eddie, was an insane athlete at everything that he mm-hmm. touched, you know, soccer, basketball, tennis. He's actually the tennis, the, I think the girls tennis coach at Indiana Wesleyan right okay. now. Awesome. But he would run us up and down a basketball court. We would be, we, it was all of our, like the cousin's desire to at one point try to beat him in something. And as he got older and older and older, he kept holding it over our heads, how we couldn't beat him at anything. So typically it was like dads, you know, the, like the uncles and the dads against Mm -hmm. the cousins every year. And we would just go from one sport to the next, to the next, to the next for three days straight. That's awesome. And then when it got dark, we'd go inside and we would play like risk or Monopoly and like stay up all night. Literally, <laughs> it was <competing>. competition fest <laughs> yes. for three days. And that's what Thanksgiving means to me. <laughs> that's so funny. So how does that translate into your family now? Um, well, you know, we're trying to actually do, like we're trying to figure out what like our family traditions are now. Yeah, because this is your first Thanksgiving yeah, with this, Christy married. Well, if married, yes. yes. And so we spent Thanksgiving last year together. Um, because we were engaged at the time, mm-hmm. soon to be married. We were like two weeks away from getting married last year. And so we're trying to figure out what our family traditions right. are. And, you know, we have a interesting, um, just a anomaly of a situation. I mean, probably a lot of people also deal with similar situations, but we've got my side of the family that we have mm-hmm. to think about. We've got her side of the family that we have to think about, but we also have tried to be very intentional about um, staying close to Amanda's side of right. the family. And so... Right. Um, we're trying to figure out how to navigate all of those different sides of the family and in all of the different holiday seasons. So it creates a lot of fun conversation. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of sitting around the kitchen table going, what are we going to do about this particular season and this particular holiday? Um, And then, of course, we've got Natalia's dad to consider as well and all of those things and making sure that she's with him for holidays. So it's a unique situation. I definitely have a growing empathy for all the blended families Mm -hmm. out there when it comes to holiday seasons. And um, I think sometimes in holiday seasons, it can get estranged or, or, or tense right. because of that. But I want to encourage all of you out there, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it well. Just communicate often, communicate regularly. Prioritize rest. Prioritize rest. Yeah. Don't try to, yeah, I just feel like some people try to bounce around like crazy. I'll talk to people a lot and they're like, well, we try to hit up all three families in Thanksgiving. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds miserable. But so um, I, I assume that going back to your question, how does the competing translate to our I assume at some point I will be on the floor with Weston and Natalia <laughs> playing shoots and ladders. Awesome. I, I assume that that's going to come out. <laughs> what a competitive game. <laughs> it really is. There's when you land on no that shoot. No strategy. No, but when you land on that shoot, you get really angry. Yeah, really it's upset. true. Because it sends you back down. <laughs> yeah. It does. But when someone else lands on it, you're like, ha! <laughs> at least that's what I did last time Weston landed on it. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Oh, man. And we have an incredible interview today. Yes, we do. Um, many of you guys are going to know who this uh, lady is. She's mm-hmm. very, very well known. Yeah. Just an incredible author. Uh, speaker, has several uh, actually best-selling books out there. She just came out with what I anticipate is going to be another best-selling book this past Tuesday. But today we're interviewing Lisa Turkers. I can't even believe it. How pumped are you about that? I'm really excited. This was one of those situations where we're like, wow, I can't believe she agreed to like interview with us. You know, such a cool thing. Cool how God orchestrated um, us getting connected with Lisa through some mm-hmm. mutual friends, but really admire her and some of the some of the hardship and pain that she has walked through recently, but over the course of her life that she's been very transparent yeah. uh, over. She's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, mm-hmm. and that ministry is just touching hundreds of thousands of specifically women, right. helping them to follow after Jesus uh, better. And it's just a, a cool thing what she's doing, but, but in this conversation, we break down a lot of um, some of the pain and trial that she's most recently gone through mm-hmm. that she talks about in this book. But we also dive into uh, some of the stuff over the span of her life that right. she's had to walk through and how that um, how that causes her perspective on life and on her relationship with Jesus um, to 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 be um, well how it how it shapes her perspective on that. Right. I, I guess I could say. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited. excited for our listeners to hear it. Um, I think. Jesus is going to do a whole lot through this conversation and um, just help point hearts towards God in the midst of tragedy. Yeah. So um, before we hop in, um, just have a few housekeeping things that we address every single time. But um, I think a big question that we get from listeners often is how they can be involved with the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Mm -hmm. And so we have three answers that we give every single time. But um, for those of you who are new listeners or you're joining us, uh, maybe for the first or second or whatever time, um, we just want to get these opportunities in front of you so that you know how to partner alongside us and to to feel invested and bought into um, the Nothing is Wasted ministry. Um, and so the first thing I feel like that I always want to start out and say is, hey, prayer is mm. is just a really big tool. Um, and so if you guys can um, join us in prayer, pray for uh, the interviews that we're trying to set up and mm. the interviews that we're having, just that um, God would continue to do a lot of healing through these conversations yeah. and um, even healing in our hearts, right? As right. we sit down and have the opportunity to listen to people's stories, um, that he would just continue to push this ministry further, Mm -hmm. not for our gain, but Mm -hmm. um, for his kingdom to be glorified. Um, And then there's a couple other ways that uh, you can be involved too, um, and that's by giving. Um, Honestly, this podcast costs some money to produce, and so um, if you feel like, hey, Jesus is maybe leading you um, to give financially to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, you can go to resonateindy.com slash give, and there's a drop-down menu there where you can give directly to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, but certainly not least, um, is to share this podcast uh, with your friends or your family, um, and to rate and review it on any podcast medium that you might be listening to this on. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to be spending some time over the holidays just reading a bunch of the reviews and stuff. Yes. We actually have our famous, what, what do we call that? Nuepabos? Nuepabos. episode that's going to be coming up at the end of this year. Yeah. Where we hope to be able to um, give you guys just kind of the highlights of what's happened this year. Right. And that also, stands for, I think, Nothing is Wasted, End of the Year, Best of Podcast Spectacular. Wow. That was impressive. Thank I you. I just sat and watched you do that, <laughs> recalling it on your head, like just right off your head, like not even with notes sa- in front of I you. I sounded it out and said it at that the same I was amazing. Time. 
Yeah, but thank we you. hope to also read some reviews and yes. just how this has impacted your life. So thank you so much for sharing this podcast, for rating and reviewing it. It really does um, help to get the word out there. And um, hopefully this is continuing to bless you. Also, before we step into this interview, we just want to forewarn you that we had some te- technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to sound a little bit uh, less than the excellent quality that we normally like to bring you across your airwaves. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's Lisa Turkhurst. Right. And she <laughs> is going to bring a bunch of gold with this interview. So let's jump in to my interview with Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Well, you um, are running quite the gamut right now because you've just released a book to as this as this recording is releasing this past Tuesday, the thirteenth. Your new book, it's not supposed to be this way, and um, I love this topic because you challenge this phrase that I think so many of us growing up in church, we've heard before this phrase of God will never give you more than what you can handle. <laughs> I'm curious, what what are some of the inspirations behind this idea and how do you feel about that phrase as you're dialoguing about that? Well, I understand why people say the phrase because a lot of times we want to have an explanation of of God that's a little easier mm-hmm. than the reality that we serve a really good God, but we do serve a really good God who allows hurt sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we feel the need to explain that away. But what we have to remember is people don't need pat answers. They don't need a bumper sticker slogan. God doesn't want to be explained away. He wants mm-hmm. to be invited in. And so when we say things like, God won't give you more than you can handle. I get it because it makes it more palatable than to acknowledge the reality that we serve a good God who does allow hurt, but we serve a God that will also take that hurt and use it for good. And Mm -hmm. we don't have to like it. It doesn't even have to feel good ever on this side of eternity, but it will be good. And Mm -hmm. um, sometimes not just for our good, but for others as well, just like Genesis 50, 20 and the story of Joseph says. Um, But I, uh, I, yeah, I wrote about that. That's actually a chapter in one of my books because I was going through a really hard time in my marriage. I'd already been through a life-threatening surgery, um, the year before. And then in the middle of all of that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, uh, so people stopped saying that statement to me, God won't give you more than you can handle because I think people were kind of, shocked that this <laughs> other hard thing happened. Yeah. They kind of yeah, realized in that moment, uh, this is a lot more than what anybody could handle and trying to reconcile that. Um, but a lot of things in the Bible, if you're, if you look at and, and trust me, I mean, I'm not trying to shine my spiritual halo here, but I mean, God's word started to become such a necessity because I felt like mm-hmm. my soul could no longer feed on junk food mm-hmm. of quick spiritual inspiration. Mm-hmm. I had to get nourishment into the depths of my soul because I felt like my soul was seriously wounded in some of the things that were happening to me. And so uh, a lot of times in the Bible, if we want strength, we have to go through hardship. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, 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 I want, I want the strength. that I want God's strength. But 
sometimes God gives us strength in packages of hardship. And, um, and, and one of the reasons I believe that is, is because God doesn't want us to learn how to rally more of our own strength. God wants us to rely on his strength, but his strength is usually only gained, um, within us, hmm. uh, when we walk through hard times, just like James one verses two through four explains to us, we can consider where the joy might be in hard times in trials because we know that God's going to develop within us a perseverance that will leave us mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, we were like, yeah, yeah, I want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But <laughs> it's like, okay, well, then you're going to have to develop perseverance. But in order to per- develop perseverance, you got to go through hard stuff. So yeah. we, we, you talk, you, we have this, the phrase, the cliche, no pain, no gain, which seems super trite when it comes to you're actually dealing with really difficult hardship, but it's so true, isn't it? I mean, it's this this idea that in order for us to gain, be, become the, the fullness of what God has intended for us to become, it's going to require a little bit of trial and pressure and testing of the genuineness of our faith. It's like a muscle, right? It's a, faith is a muscle that has to be exercised and can only be exercised when put under, under duress. I, I love what you said about this thing with God's Word and you're jumping into the... You really had to dive into it deep. I was having a conversation a couple episodes ago on Nothing Is Wasted podcast with Pastor Craig Rochelle, and we were talking about the prevalence of this idea, this this conversation of pain. It seems like it's so prevalent these days, depression and anxiety on the rise. But I also see a correlation that biblical illiteracy seems to also be on the rise. Do you think there is a correlate? People are walking around going, I've got questions of uh, the problem with pain and and do you think there is a correlation between their understanding of or engagement in Scripture and these questions that are um, being posed? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's a definite correlation, but I also think pain in and of itself makes it hard to reconcile our feelings and our faith. Um, mm-hmm. And so even if you're in the Bible and you are mature in your faith, when you go through times of pain, the intensity of those feelings can sometimes rub your faith in a very raw way. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I do think that a lot of us are starving for spiritual truth. And what I mean by that is God hand designed our brain and our souls to get nourishment from God's Word. So we don't need to be a Bible scholar. We don't have to understand every deep nuance of Scripture. It's just we do have to get into His Word and let His Word get into us. Mm. And we may not understand how the spiritual nutrition takes place, but I don't always understand physical nutrition when I put food in my body. (laughs) It's just... I know how to attribute a physical hunger pain to the fact that I need physical food. I don't think we often know how to attribute spiritual pain to the fact that we need nourishment from God's Word. And so what I always tell people is, even if you don't understand all of it, just opening up God's Word and reading it and letting it get inside of you will nourish something inside of you spiritually, even if your mind isn't fully connecting to all the deep truths that are contained within. And so I think it's really important. But I also think even if you are doing that, you're going to hit intense moments of pain where not everything's going to make sense. And that's okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, in this book, you get pretty raw and real about some of the struggles that have been going on with your, your family and your marriage and your health. And um, I think we, you know, oftentimes make a mistake that, that we think that prominent figures or ministry figures or public figures that they have their life all put together. How would you, uh, how would you speak to someone who says that they kind of hold that belief that everything's perfect in the life of Lisa Turkhurst? Um, how would you speak to somebody who, who kind of believes that? Well, I think my story is public enough now to where I've sort of shattered that notion that um, everything is perfect in the world of Lisa Turkhurst. Um, I, I think I've been real and raw in the midst of my struggle as much as I could be. You know, I, I have to be sensitive because this isn't just my story to tell. And certainly for the first 18 months that we were going through the marriage trial and struggle with my husband's infidelity, I did keep um, this part of our story private mm. because I didn't want to invite the weight of public opinion into our very deep personal pain. But after 18 months, it became um, sadly apparent that either the rumor mill was going to tell our story or I was going to have, have to get out in front of it and tell it with facts and ask for prayer. And so that's what I made the choice to do. Um, it also coincided with a time where I thought we were on the path to restoration and that everything was going to be okay, but things sort of fell apart right before I announced it. And by the time I announced what we were walking through, at that point, there appeared to be no hope that, that my marriage could be saved. So I think people are a little confused, um, maybe why they still see me wearing my wedding ring. Um, why do they sometimes see videos on my kids' Instagram of the family all together? And then why did I post on Father's Day a picture with art and my family all together mm -hmm. up at um, up in the mountains? And so, but I haven't really come out and explain to people exactly where we are in the journey. Um, and so, you know, basically just to give you the latest update, um, we are doing the hard work of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. It's messy. It's heartbreaking. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. It is by far the hardest choice to make, but sometimes we have to make hard choices in the short term that we know if we have a shot at at what we want long-term, then we've got to do the hard work of today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I completely understand why some people in my position walk away from their marriage because the pain is excruciating at times. But I also know in my heart that as long as my husband is willing to... Um, do the hard work alongside me of reconciling, then I have a dream that five years down the road, 10 years down the road, that we will be older and loving on our grandkids and we'll be together. And that's what I want. I love my husband. That's never changed. Um, I, no part of me ever wanted to do life without him. Um, I just am thankful for the second chance that we've been given. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I was going to ask you that very thing, what decisions had to play into the, the process of making the decision to reconcile? Because I think there's so many 
of our listeners who would be in a, maybe a similar situa- situation as you and justifiably, even like biblically, you can walk away. But I admire the fact that you have made um, some decisions to say, hey, no, this is, this is what we're going to, we're going to do the hard thing. We're going to really work through this. And, um, and I also admire your transparency through the process of all of that. Have you noticed the, you know, as you're living this, <laughs> there's like a public side of Lisa Turkers, there's a private side of Lisa Turkers. Anybody who's a public figure wrestles with the line between those two things and how do we use our pain to, or our life experiences to minister to other people? What's the line of transparency? Have you noticed a, a cost in your life when it comes to being as transparent as you have? Because again, it's the most admirable thing ever to be as raw and as real as you have been. Um, but I wonder if you're noticing any kind of a, a cost there. Would you say that that was, is how you would, you would advise everybody to walk through that life in a, in a place of vulnerability? Um, I would encourage everybody to be vulnerable, but their tolerance for vulnerability has to be their own choice. They just have to know Mm -hmm. themselves really well. Um, Has there been a cost to my transparency? Absolutely. I used to really enjoy walking into a room, a green room, right before I would speak, you know, at a big conference or whatever. And I used to really enjoy walking in and feeling like everybody had an awareness of the, um, you know, how much I love God's word and, and how much, how passionate I am about ministry. And that was the focus of our conversation. Now I walk in and a lot of times people will say, I'm so sorry for all you've had to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm praying for you. And I get that. I totally get that. But that's been hard for me. Um, so, you know, I don't know, I guess some people would say maybe that's good because it'll chip away at any pride that I have. Although I think walking through this, I, 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 I probably am not struggling with pride right now. <laughs> Don't you love uh, that when people are like, well, you know, it's a humbling thing for you. You're like, man, I feel like ministry by itself is humbling, let alone yeah. all the other stuff you deal with in your own personal pain, you know? Yeah, for uh, sure. But, um, you know, I, I think for me, like I said, everybody has their own um, their own personality and their own personal tolerance for transparency. And I think we have to be honest, what is our threshold? For me, there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. Hmm. Um, I don't think that we should ever be in ministry and have um, and be struggling with secrecy because secrecy has at its core the fact that I'm trying to hide some unhealthy behaviors. but, and it really secrecy has, has its purpose in hiddenness. You know, yeah. I, I want to hide something from people. Privacy is different. Privacy has its purpose of healing. And so, yes, there are some details around my story that I will forever keep private um, because I want to make sure that my husband and I have every chance to heal and not every detail needs to be shared. Yeah. You know, I think People will consume as many details as you give them, Mm -hmm. but the more details you give them, they get very um, curious and you feed their curiosity and you don't feed their ability to translate the life lessons you've learned into their own life. And for me, 
I've never been about satisfying people's curiosity. I want them to look at my life, look at my life story, look at the good parts, the bad parts, the messy parts, all of it, and take the life lessons that I've learned and translate it into their life so that it works good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not, not to feed people's curiosity, but to feed their hope in their own life. Yeah. And I think what you're also talking about is when people see the, the brokenness in your own life and the good things and the lessons you've learned and the redemption that is being woven into all of it, what they're really seeing is they're seeing Jesus. You know, they're not seeing Lisa anymore or any number of, you know, public figures in their names. They're seeing Jesus. And that, I think, is the coolest thing about um, being transparent as you're walking through. You're saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. I have some parts that are broken and some pain in my past based on what I've done and what has been done to me. And yet God is still good. And Jesus is put on display through the redemption of all of that. You've That's been... right. And I can stir within people a deeper desire to connect with Jesus about mm-hmm. the various aspects of their life. Then I feel like that is, that is a, a profound gift I can give them. In other words, if people can hear a little bit about my story and run to Jesus mm-hmm. holding their spouse's hand and say, look, you know, if it could happen to Art and Lisa, it could happen to us. So Jesus, you know, help us, help us see what we don't see, help us know what we need to know and help strengthen us so that the battles ahead, we can fight together and not be torn apart. You're pretty um, transparent in your previous books as well, because about, you know, this isn't your first time around the block when it comes to dealing with trial. And there's been so much hardship. As If I look at like the highlights that you've, you know, or the lowlights, I guess, of your life through some of the stuff that you've written, there's been a lot that you have walked through. Can you give us a little bit of, um, for those maybe who are not familiar with some of your story, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of some of the trial and hardship that you've had to walk through since you were younger and uh, maybe give us some of the lessons that you've learned through that of how you your perspective of God has been shifted and shaped through some of those things. Yeah. Um, so my earlier years were dotted with um, about every three years, it seemed like I had a tragedy in, in my life growing up mm-hmm. um, from my parents divorcing and me just being absolutely devastated by that loss to one of my baby sisters getting very, very sick and passing away. Mm. Um, She was only 16 months. I was 18 or 19 years old, and um, it was devastatingly hard for me. Um, Then in my early 20s, I I was in a very bad season after my sister's death, and I made um, some really poor choices and found out I was pregnant and walked through um, the just the emotional fallout that can come from having an abortion. And, you know, um, all of those things, those were things that happened to me. They were beyond my control, but they were also things that I chose, um, that I had to carry the weight of the guilt of some of the choices that I made. And so, um, I was very well acquainted with grief and shame and hardship and heartbreak, uh, by the time I was in my mid twenties. And um, I thought that was my testimony. And honestly, I kind of felt like 
that was the story of redemption that God had for my life. And yes, I would go through other hardships in my late 20s and 30s, um, but those big, epic, life-altering hardships, um, you know, those were some of the ones that I just mentioned to you from my growing up years in my early 20s. Um, So I had no idea that in my mid-40s, um, which I'm dating myself now. So, you know, <laughs> it's all right. You don't look a day over 25. It's okay. I'm sitting here looking at you. <laughs> You're so sweet. Thank you. Well, it's funny because, you know, I told you I was just um, earlier today um, with the producers of the Today Show and yeah. they want some pictures of my growing up years. And I had a picture from me at prom. And uh, one of the producers said, wow, um, what year was that? Because uh, I wonder if I was even born. And he was not. He was not oh, even no. born yet. When I went to prom, I'm like, oh. It's all right. So. It, you know, in the Bible, it calls it wisdom. Gray hair is wisdom, <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, honey, I cover up those gray hairs. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can call them wisdom. I call yeah. them neat. Hair, a hair dye job, no, so no transparency hair. in that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but by the time I hit my mid forties, you know, I really had no idea um, the the craziness that was about to hit my life and how I would go through um, the need for redemption or a redemptive story mm. um, on a whole nother level. So, you know, in early two thousand sixteen, I found out that my husband over 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 20 years was having an affair and um, I cannot even describe the heartbreak. I really can't. There, there really are no words to describe the deep emotional shattering that that caused. Um, Then that was in early 2016. And then in June of 2016, um, I got very, very sick and um, wound up in intensive care um, my, the emotional fallout of everything I was going through in my marriage, mm-hmm. um, my counselor kept saying, Lisa, your body will keep the score. And it certainly mm-hmm. did. I kept telling people that I felt as if my insides were twisting. And, um, the craziest thing is in a physical sense, that's exactly what happened. Um, the right side of my colon ripped away from the abdominal wall. It wrapped around the left side of my colon. It cut the blood flow off inside of me. And, um, and I, I spent uh, a long time in the hospital, wound up having to have most of my colon removed and, um, you know, almost died several times in the process of that. Um, And then um, still continued with some hard things with my marriage. Um, You know, it wasn't just a like, man, that really was a terrible choice that you made and then that my husband made, and then all of a sudden, you know, I find out, and then he repents, and then everything's okay. Our story was long, and it was complicated, and it was hard and heartbreaking on many levels for a long time. And so then in September of 2017, just over a year since um, I'd had my colon surgery, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, um, and my husband and I had not yet um, reconciled at that point. And so it was just hardship upon hardship upon hardship. But, um, God taught me so many things throughout that whole journey where I felt like, um, you know, it was just enough grace to hang on to this day and then the next day and then the next day. And, um, and it was a very, 
sometimes moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, um, just hanging on to the grace of God and knowing it's not going to be this way forever. Um, but it certainly was painful in the moment. What are some of the, the doubts or discouragement that you had to battle as you're stepping into this, you know, in your later seasons of life, just recently, some of these hardships, especially thinking, wow, I'm on the other side of it. My redemptive story, I'm writing my redemptive story right now. And then boom, you're, you find yourself in this, this kind of a trial and back to back to back. I mean, it seems incessant that bam, bam. What kinds of things did you have to wrestle with this battlefield in your mind to put your, keep your eyes on the Lord? Well, I think probably one of the biggest was just wrestling through how could God let this happen? And, you know, when God's promises start to seem doubtful, His lack of intervention hurtful, and His timing questionable, it can really rock your world at the deepest core way. But I remember when I was in the hospital with my colon issue and, um, the doctors could not figure out what was wrong with me, but I was in extreme pain. And so they admitted me to the hospital just to help me manage my pain. And they kept running tests, but, um, they also kept coming in the room and saying, you know, Lisa, nothing's wrong with you. And so that'll make you feel crazy. Yeah, no joke. I laid in the hospital Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning in so much pain. I mean, it it rattled me in the deepest way how much I was hurting. And I kept having this picture of God there with me, but doing nothing to help me. And I just couldn't reconcile like, God, how could you you know, are you aloof? Are you caring? Where, where are you? If one of my kids was hurting like this, I would certainly intervene and help them if I could. So why aren't you? And then the surgeon came in on Friday morning and said, Lisa, we ran one last test and we finally figured out what's happened to you. And then he said something that I will never forget. He said, I'm so thankful God didn't take away your pain because had he taken away your pain, we would not have kept running tests. We would have released you from the hospital. You would have gone home. Your colon would have ruptured and you would, you would have died. Wow. So now I have a completely different view of God. God wasn't aloof. He wasn't uncaring. I believe it took every bit of holy restraint that God had access to, to keep him from answering my prayer because he allowed that pain because that pain was the very thing that saved my life. So Mm. now I have a lesson, a powerful lesson to hold on to that I can preach back to myself. And that's this, God loves me too much to answer my prayers at any other time than the right time, and in any other way than the right way. You know, too many people, I think, question so much about why God answers prayers for some people and why God doesn't answer that same prayer for other people. And what I have to say is that God loves you too much to give you an answer prayer that he knows is not ultimately the very best for you. We don't have to understand that and we do not have to like it. And on this side of eternity, so much of what we walk through will never, ever, ever make sense. But like I said at the beginning of our podcast, God doesn't want to be explained away. He just wants to be invited in. He wants us to invite him in. He will walk us to the pain. He will walk us through the pain. And in his right timing, he will heal and possibly even take away the pain. Wow. That's amazing, Lisa. You, you're, 
you find yourself asking the question, where's God's grace in this suffering? And I think what you just articulated is sometimes God's grace is the suffering. It's him allowing us to walk through these things so we get a clear picture um, of who he is and our eyes are opened up to his. And that's the greatest gift that he could give us is so that we can see who he is. Thanks so much for joining us today. Man, what an honor to hear from you and have you on this um, even for a short amount of time, I wish we could do this all day long, but I know you got a lot of interviews to do, a lot of things to, a lot of people to see in order um, to get this book out there. And I'm so excited about this book coming out. It's not supposed to be this way, right? It's not That's supposed right. to be this way. So make sure you pick up um, a copy of that. We'll have it on our podcast page available for you guys. But Lisa, thanks again for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Well, thanks, Davey. There's no one in the world that I would rather have spent the last 30 minutes with than you doing your podcast. Oh. So it's an honor. It's a privilege. And um, I just consider you a dear friend in ministry. And hopefully we can meet in person one day. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you, Davey. Bye-bye. We'll see you. Bye. What a great interview with Lisa. Oh, I know. I'm so excited she was able to be on the podcast. She is amazing. Yes. Amazing. I love her transparency. Mm -hmm. I love just uh, how she steps into things and kind of owns. She's like the epitome of like a boss. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's a boss. (laughs) I don't even really fully know what that means, but she's just. (laughs) But she is one. (laughs) She is one. (laughs) Well, hey, if we can help you get connected to any of Lisa's resources, Proverbs 31 Mm -hmm. Ministries, this new book that just released called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, um, we can help you get directed to all those things um, via the podcast page. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in in getting those resources, head to davyblackburn.com slash podcast, and you'll find this on the podcast page entitled episode 38. Mm. And we want to thank Sleeping at Last, as always, for providing us the music to this episode. Mm -hmm. You can download his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. Make sure to check out the Enneagram songs that he has been walking through. And speaking of Enneagram, I heard possibly, Hmm? potentially, (laughs) that just to tease you for 2019, that we may or may not, may being the emphasis... Be talking to an Enneagram expert in Chris Huertz, who wrote The Sacred Enneagram. So that's an exciting exciting. episode that's going to come out in 2019. I can't wait for you guys to hear that. But Sleeping at Last actually wrote the forward or the afterward to The Sacred Enneagram. So man, Ryan, you're crushing it. Crushing it. (laughs) You guys go download his music and make sure you join us again next time for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Love you guys.